everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, where we engage with culture and equip the local church in faith and ministry. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. During our current sermon series, The Next Good Thing, we'll be featuring interviews by Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, with different people each week to help us clarify the spiritual sickness we're grappling with right now. These people will take us one step deeper in our understanding of our emotional and spiritual need. In this episode, Nick is interviewing Father Gregory Jensen. He is the pastor of Saints Cyrilla and Methodius Orthodox Church and the Eastern Orthodox Chaplain at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Also, we'd love to hear your story of how God is transforming you and healing you during this series. You can email that to us as well at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Nick Gibson. Welcome to Engage and Equip. I am interviewing Father Gregory Jensen. He is a Orthodox pastor here in town and was one of the pastors I talked to as we were approaching the burnout point of six months with the lockdown with COVID. And I just interviewed him for about an hour about how he's thinking through these things from a Christian perspective and um, got some. he said some really great things I want him to be able to share with you. So we're just kind of going to go over this conversation he and I had about a month ago and um, I think that you'll, I think you'll really be helped spiritually by some of the pastoral thoughts he's had on um, being a Christian through these times. You ready to roll, Father Gregory? I, I am indeed ready to roll. So, okay. The very first thing you hit on when we start talking about how COVID is affecting people and the symptoms, like just the sort of personal symptoms they were experiencing, you said, "Well, yeah. I mean, we're 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 not very good at existential dread." Everybody's realizing again that they're going to die, and it seems to be quite a surprise for people. You know, it. Can you yeah. say a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. You know, it, it uh, because it was just the two of us. I was a little, maybe a bit, a little bit more flipped than I should have been, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, again, it's one of the things that a lot of the priests uh, I know we, we we've been talking about. Um, I mean, and it's something that pastors know. I mean, people people die, um, and you know, for a lot of clergy. A lot of pastors, um, you know, being with people in, in the last weeks, days, minutes, hours, whatever their lives. I mean, that's part of it. We, we understand people die. We do funerals. But, you know, I, I think that it's different to realize that that I'm going to die. Um, and I, I think we, we're all sort of confronting that in a, in a way that, you know, we, we, generally, we generally don't. Um, you know, it, it, um, and the fact of the matter is I, I, I'm more at risk driving, say, to a restaurant than I am at, uh, getting COVID in a restaurant. You know, but of course, I, I, I never bother to think that maybe it's dangerous to, to get in my car. Um, you know, so COVID has had the, COVID has had the effect of, of getting us all really reflecting on the fact that we're going, that we're all going to die, that the people we love are going to die. And we have to figure out what to do with that. And that is, that is, that is a challenge. Um, you know, what am I, how, how do I, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with the fact that, that I'm mortal, that you're mortal, that, that the people we love are all mortal, we're all going to die? I mean, I th- the answer to that might seem obvious for Christians, but if somebody was, was thinking, okay, pastor, you just asked a question, what is the answer? What well, would you, what have you been telling people? Who um, seem to be struggling with that? Yeah, well, um, 
what I've, I've been telling them is it's um, it's important to reflect on your own death and the death of the the, the people around you. Um, you know, the, the fact that Christians have a, a theological answer doesn't necessarily exempt us from some of the uh, the existential challenges. I mean, it, 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 it's one thing to, you know, to read in, in Scripture that uh, those who die in Christ, those who die in Christ are alive in Christ. It, it is quite another thing to reflect on that for myself. Um, you know, so I, 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 one of the things that I have been suggesting to people and, and something that I, I've done most of my life is, is reflect on the, the fact of human mortality, the fact that I'll die, the fact that my wife will die. Um, and, and, you know, that, that doesn't have to be morbid, but I, I think it, it does have to be done. Um, you know, the other thing then is, is, is to realize that, uh, Everyone I talk to is 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 frail. Um, everyone I talk to is going to die, um, and that that doesn't matter whether they're they're believers or not. It's it doesn't matter what they're whether they're virtuous or or vicious. Everyone's going to die, and um, I, I need to keep that in mind. Just how how weak and breakable uh, everyone is, and I, I think this is the thing that. That I, we've seen with uh, the last couple of months, you know, uh, people get really angry at other folks. Um, you know, on, on Saturday, uh, typically my wife and I'll go out to breakfast. It's hard, and we couldn't do that for months because you know, even though we spent a lot of time together, with the shutdown, we we kind of like that little time. And um, we were sitting in uh, Panera's as it happened. And a woman came in, and she was told to wear a mask, and she just refused. And it, it escalated in short order to, you can't make me, to here comes Madison Police Department. Um, I just like, I thought, I was like, hey, lady, it's a, it's a mask. Um, you, you know, I, I, I don't like it either. But, um, you know, my neighbor needs may need to see me wearing a mask. Um, you know, so that's, that's my frame of reference. Um, that what I do, I'm, I'm, I'm doing for people who are mortal. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. There's no yeah. Well, I, I think, I think we're going to circle back around to frailty in a little bit. Okay. Cause I think that that's something I want to, I want to ask you a little bit more about, but one of the things you said in the conversation we had was that, one of the reasons why people were struggling and, and disagreeing and like you were saying, like having really strong disagreements about, about things related to COVID and its issues was partly because of just, you know, burnout or emotional struggles with um, mortality, but also the fact that um, there really isn't a shared moral tradition in Southern Wisconsin anymore. No. And so people don't have a shared moral, spiritual, ethical construct that we all share to say, well, how do we think through this new problem? Right. But instead, we all have these different ones that we've made. And so then people think it through in their own categories and they get really upset at each other because they come to fundamentally different conclusions. Well, yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I've said this, so I obviously think it's true. But, you know, um, you, you know, these are, these are, these are, these are, these are extraordinarily personal questions that we're all struggling with, which we're all struggling um, and the answers that we come up with uh, are usually 
pretty important to us. Uh, it, it's, it's the thing that, I mean, my answers are the things that, that I, I hang my day on. Um, you know, it's, it's part of what keeps me going. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but the practical fact is it's what keeps me going. Someone comes along and disagrees or, or worse invalidates that. It, it's not surprising that I'm going to get angry. Um, you know, it, it, it's the equivalent of, of walking into a house and, and saying to the husband, so cheating on your wife still? You know, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. It, 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 the only thing that worse about it being true is it not being true. And that's just such a, you know, a, a destructive thing to say. So we don't have this shared moral vocabulary. Um, and so it, it is really difficult, even if underneath our concepts or underneath our vocabulary, we agree. It's really hard to get there and it requires a lot of work. Um, and, it, you know, frankly, a lot of us, I mean, let's speak just for the Christian community. You know, a lot of Christians just don't have the training and the education or, and so the, the patience and the toolkit to, to have that conversation. Uh, we want quick answers. The problem is, is that those quick answers don't really provide much of substance um, for our life together. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, so I, I struggle with this, not just in terms of, so first of all, to clarify for our listeners, when you said these are very personal questions, mm-hmm. you, you didn't mean by that, that they aren't public questions, but right. you just meant they touch very cl- deeply into each of us as a person. Right. And so they're exactly. extremely relevant to our deepest decisions and values. Right. They're personal in that sense. Yeah. But also public, right? right. Well, yeah. In yeah. a way. So one of the things I struggle with is like you get you get people who have very different sets of moral values. But then at the same time, there's people who have, they'll be like, well, I don't, are moral values that different? And then you're like, well, you have the same moral values. If you made a list of your top 100 moral values, they would all be, they you would have like 89 of them would be the same, but they'd be in a very different order. They would. Yeah. Right. Your one through 10 and my one through 10 would be the same. And then you get, so you get this deal where like people believe in the same stuff, but they, so f- for example, I, you see this with like in the African-American community and the traditionally white community, especially Northern European, Northern European people are more like, Hey, get your stuff together and do the right thing because we're all expecting everybody to bear their own burden and like do their thing. And within the African-American community, there's more of an ethic of like, hey, we need to help each other out. And like, right. not everybody can bear their own weight all the time, but we need to get in there. And then when somebody does something wrong, you have the same values, but the operative value in that particular situation isn't the same. Right. Somebody's and, like, hey, get your stuff together. And somebody else is like, hey, we got to help this guy. Right. And when, we, you know what I mean? You know, no, I do. And, 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 and you know, and, and, and even within a, even within a, a more narrowly defined community, we have different starting points, um, right? You know, so so in a relation, yeah, yeah. So so even if we we share not just values one through ten, but let's say we we share the same one hundred values in the same order, you know, our our starting points are you know can be radically different, and which means and and this is the question of the virtue of prudence. Even if we're walking towards the same goal, the kingdom of God that next step is going to be very different because we are at different places relative to the kingdom. And this is not to say that, that one is necessarily even closer or the other further away. It's just, 
you know, I'm I'm looking at the kingdom of God from, um, you know, uh, well, I'm right of center, and and my neighbor is looking at the kingdom of God from left of center, um, and so those next steps are going to be a little different. Um, you, you know, we're going to the same place, but we're starting in different places, and if I'm not aware of that, um, there's going to be conflict because why are you doing this? This is just like a stupid next step. Uh, you're not taking the step that I'm taking. I thought we were Christians and we, we had all the same values and we had all the same goals. We do. Yeah. I, I think part of that culturally is that we sometimes don't know what we, what our philosophy is even from. So when you and I go to something called Acton University and right. there's a lot of Roman Catholics there. Uh-huh. And one of the things I hear them say a good bit is, yeah, so-and-so is a Protestant now or is an atheist and they don't even realize they're still just arguing with their Catholic upbringing. Right. Right. One of the things you and I were talking about was that even our atheism in the Southern Wisconsin region is a Protestant atheism. It's like a Lutheran Northern European Protestant irreligion. So that even when we're not religious, right. there is a ethos of like sort of American pragmatic Protestantism that like overlays everything that we're kind of unconscious of. And that's really good for some things and really bad for other things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing that I've noticed since, since moving uh, to the Midwest is um, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I went to the funeral of the mother of one of my parishioners and uh, the funeral was in a Baptist church. And, um, you know, at the end of the service, my, my thought was, man, this, this preacher is a, is a really decent human being. I mean, he, I mean, it was, just, it was just it was just no other way to come away from listening to that man preach and, and seeing how he, he did what he did other than think this this is a really solid guy in a way which is 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 very unique um, if you grow up or if you live in a, in, in, a, in a in a sort of a different understanding of, of the gospel. And it's not to prefer one to the other necessarily, but um you know, this this was a very this is a very contained man, and he he put a lot of effort into to saying just the right thing in just the right way, just the right tone. Um, relative to him, I'm I'm just a slob, honestly. <laughs> I just sort of say stuff and 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 hope it works out. Um, you know, so you know, and I I I've seen this. I, I, um, you know, this this kind of um, and that's the upside. The, the negative side of that is that it, it can come across as self-righteous, just a real good, real conviction of one's own virtue relative to other people. Um, and I've noticed here. You also said, go ahead. You also said in our conversation that you were like, that kind of pragmatic, like get it done, Protestant work ethic kind of attitude is really good when you're like trying to build a hospital, doing yeah. science, administrating government. But yeah. when a pandemic comes in and like destroys all these systems of achievement, right. And you're left with the existential dread of your possible impending death. Right. Um, historic Protestantism hasn't focused on that in the ways that like the ascetic tradition, orthodoxy, or the tradition of infirmity and Catholicism has. Right. And 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 that, yeah. And I think, thank you, because you, you're, like I said, I, I tend to ramble. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is. I mean, it's, it, it's great to be uh, practical, to, to have, to know 
what steps you need to to take to to accomplish a particular uh, practical goal. Um, and and this this should not in any way um, be minimized. But the the problem is is that there there always there there always come in life moments where uh, my ability to function, you know, are, are called it's, it's called radically into question. And and the pandemic is 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 exactly one exactly it. You know, you listen to a lot of the the uh, things that are coming out of, of local, state, and, and national governments, and it really is. Um, it's not wrong, but the tone is moralizing, uh, and it's like, yeah, okay. It just—I mean, I, I, at the risk of offending people, it's like, oh, great, just what I need. I've got now some evangelical or fundamentalist preacher telling me what I need to do to get right with Jesus. Oh, not Jesus with COVID. This is what I need to do to get right with COVID, and it's like, or, or the state, yeah, and and and, and it's said almost with that that kind of of theological conviction. Um, right. There's orthodoxy and heresy. There are sinners and saints. There is church discipline. There, like everything that's part of religion, is part of this. Right, and it, 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 it you know, it really is. Except um, grace. Well, except well, I mean, it, it grace is a lot. Well, but grace is harder. Um, if you're certain, you know what the truth is. Uh, in a, in uh-huh. a really sort oh, of yeah. reductionistic way, I, I, I teach dogmatics. I'm teaching dogmatic theology at the Smithers Seminary, and um, you know, I, I tell the students, you know, uh, you know, avoid simplification. You know, God is bigger than you, uh, which means the work of God in the heart of another human being is bigger than what you can understand. Um, so, you know, let's. let's Step back, but that 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 presupposes being at at peace with with our own limitations, our own uh, fragility, our own inabilities. Um, yeah, and that, that is so. Let me. Thing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me ask you a provocative question. Ah. So, so Protestants have this long history of being upset at Catholics and Orthodox people for icons and the, yeah. the depictions of god and holiness in the lives of people and so on and because they're like look these are these are going to be basically idols you won't you won't you can't help but them functioning that way and then you came around you're like you know protestantism sort of has its idols of pragmatics like it structures its things like and it turns out being things like being healthy that your government works that you're not having a continental war that if you play by the rules, you'll succeed. That if you're polite to others and play by the rules, people will be polite and play by the rules to you. That, and I think you called it a secular pietism. That yeah. Protestantism produces a kind of pietism, but that pietism is also kind of a works-based righteousness where people feel like if they do this stuff, then it's going to work, and that becomes its own sort of god or god manipulator. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that Protestants have their own idol factory? It just uh, isn't an icon. It's a set of ideas or institutions. Uh, yeah, well, I, 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 I think we, I, I think in a fallen world, human beings, um, you know, are, are are constantly tempted to idolatry. Um, mm. I feel like this, I, and this getting way, rid of getting rid of icons and crucifixes isn't going to permanently fix the church. You know, it, it really is. I had a, a classmate in, in uh, graduate school who was a Southern Baptist pastor, and he was teasing me one time about liturgy and cassocks and all that. And that's fine. Friends. And and I, I pointed out to him, hey, hey Jim, tell you what, on Sunday, um, 
in your 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 Baptist church where you're free in the spirit, uh, go in early and replace all the hymnals with a different hymnal. What? Yeah, and uh, have a different order of service. Maybe preach after the second hymn rather than the third. And he, well, I, I can't do that. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, you, you've you've got your thing there, and I'm not I'm not I'm not minimizing. It. I don't want to make fun of it, but. You know, we, we, we all, we, we need to ritualize things. And the, the problem is, is that, that those ritualized behaviors and, 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 and ways of thinking can take on a life of their own and they can become the point. Um, you, you know, and, you know, so, I mean, you would probably be better equipped to, to speak to the, 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 the particular idols of, of, of Protestantism. Um, but, you know, I, I do think, again, we're, we're, we're still all fallen, and, and fallen human beings worship false gods. And, right. And we, we, we always... Yeah, I told it. That's so important. Yeah, I mean, this is what James says. It's like, oh, the rich man comes in, and you, you give him the good seat, and you say to the poor man, you know, go sit down there. Yeah, I, well, that, that's... You know that 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 that's kind of a, a little idol. You know, it's like oh, the rich man—he's he somehow he's he's more important than the poor man. He can or do the, something for me that the poor can, man can't. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very ungodly thought. You know, it 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 really is. Um, and and again, it, it, it and it, false. It well, well, I, actually, it 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 actually the problem is it's not that it's it's false that it's it's mostly true. Uh, I love my rich friends. They do things for me. Yeah. You know, don't you think though, like, especially in reference to the ascetic tradition, yeah. but don't you think like part of the truth you're supposed to recognize is that the poor man actually does something for you spiritually and that they are the object of love. Like you get a chance to operationally exert love <clears throat> and they're toward them. And that's, that's actually their, an opportunity. It, Whereas the rich man, when he does stuff for you, that's a, Yes, they do something for you, but it's kind of it's like kind of worldly. Like, well, it is, but you know, the, the the flip side is that I'm the rich man to the poor man, and I'm the poor man to the rich man. Yeah, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I, I when when I was a, a young priest, an older priest took me aside and said, "You need hobbies," and I thought, "Oh, I need hobbies to deal with stress sick," and I respond that way: "Ah, you idiot! You don't need hobbies to relax." You need hobbies so people can do things for you. What? People want to do things for you. Get some hobbies. Okay. And he was, he was perfectly right. You know, I, I have to have interests outside of, of, of the ministry. If for no other reason, then sometimes people want to express their, their respect and love for me. And, if, you know, I, I like to cook. So my, my parish bought me knives for Father's Day. Yeah, because they can't do a liturgy for you. No. They're, 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 like, there are certain yeah. competencies that people can't do. So only if you are interested in things that they're competent in can you right. which, which like, means let I them have do to, it. Yeah. I have to expand my, if, if not my competencies, at least my interests. Right. You know, I made a, a great right. connection with a, a young man, a 30-something guy who was um, a professional chef. And um, he had seen, he saw me at church one Sunday and my hands were... I was burned and cut, basically. And he looked down and said, you like to cook? I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, you like to cook? 
then you just got to accept the fact you're going to get burned and cut. You know, and, you know, I, I took out one of my new knives just yesterday, uh, using it for the first time. And uh, almost the very first thing I did is I cut my finger. Oh, gosh. And my wife was like, oh, don't tell people. I was like, no, I love to cook. If you love to cook, you're going to cut your finger. You know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but again, it, it goes back to Especially if you're doing it about. fast. Yeah. Uh, I don't do it fast anymore. But, cause I've got <laughs> too much. but it, it comes back to, you know, do we build in weakness? Do we build in an appreciative sense of our own weakness, our own limitations? Um, you know, not just our needs for other, but really there's just all sorts of stuff I can't do. Yeah, that kind of leads to what you t- we talked about after this, because one of the things you said was that you that there were some forms of Protestantism that you could see that sometimes after a personal affirmation of faith and getting saved, so to speak, like accepting the forgiveness of Christ by putting your faith in him, right. that there's certain Christians that seem like that that's all there is to it. And you said, you know, the Orthodox Church has a strong ascetic tradition, which includes a really strong sanctification-oriented tradition, which yeah. is this, that I'm going to struggle against my sin my whole life. And I'm going to do that operatively by engaging in certain spiritual disciplines. Right. And then you said, and I thought this was really interesting. You said the most important and most central of which is confession and repentance. Yeah. That confession yeah. is the, like the most, and, and when you were talking before about what we're not used to doing and what we, I find that pro, it, within Northern European Protestantism, forgiveness can be a hangup for people, which is yeah. weird because it's like the the very first idea in Christianity. Yeah. Like in terms of how we respond, you know. Yeah. No. And and you know it's um, in, in the interest of footnoting the comment um, that wasn't just me. That's Bonhoeffer as well. Uh, he, he, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very clear that uh, verbal commun- verbal confession to a, a, a trusted individual, the pastor, is 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 really the linchpin of, of, of Christian community it has to be there. He says, um, or, can or, you talk about that for people? So, so people, most of the people who will hear this are going to be from a Protestant tradition. They're going to think of, of that as something cl- connected to Catholicism yeah. re- relative to absolution to prepare, um, the believer or the penitent for communion. Right. And, and they, they tend to think of it mystically. Like it's how you get your sins forgiven. But that's not really how you talked about it when we talked about it as the main thing. No. Well, I mean, it, it, um, you know, there, there's a sense in which, you know, with, with, you know, the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, uh, all of our sins have been forgiven. Um, and, and, and not just, not just mine, not just yours, but, you know, all of humanity's sins are forgiven. He, he dies once for, for all, as the, the apostle says. But you know that, that, that's something that, that needs to be constantly um, appropriated. I, I need to make that my own again and, and again. And, and what, what happens in, in confession, um, it, it really is, at least from my own perspective, uh, as an Orthodox priest, it, it, it's one of the, the, the manifestations of the prophetic office of the church, the prophetic ministry of the church. Um, you know, that I, I confess my sins and in the, in the prayers of forgiveness, you know, I, I am told with, with, with certitude that, that, that my sins are forgiven. 
you know, but that that's that's a very truncated view. Um, you know, ideally, what happens is is that you know the the priest who hears my confession um, is is someone who hears my confession, you know, multiple times over the over the course of years. Um, it's interesting with among my priest friends and I. Um, you know, one of us will say, can I go to confession? And the other will say, sure. And so, um, you know, I might um, go to, I might, you know, a priest might hear my confession. Uh, and then when I'm done with my confession and he said the prayers of forgiveness for me, uh, we'll just switch places and I'll hear his confession. Um, but, but confession, it has, has really sort of a, a therapeutic goal. Um, not therapeutic in the in the psychological sense, but as a matter of, of of slowly lifting from the heart uh those those tendencies to be to be willful, um, you know, to or those disordered tendencies. Um you know, you know it just and, and we all we all have them. We all snap at our kids or don't listen to our husband or our wife. Um we slack off at work. We use language we shouldn't use. We see, look at things on it, online we shouldn't look at, or, or, or whatever. We hold grudges. Um, and, and confession is the place where we we, we, we try to work that out. Um, in the in the sort of a secular context, it, it, it's similar to psychotherapy. But psychotherapy has the goal of of, of right functioning, of adaption. Um, and confession has the goal of liberating the person from his or her specific failings, if, if that makes sense. Well, you're a pastor. You, you, you know, you have a congregation of sinners, but they're they're all they're all unique in the ways they're sinful. Mm-hmm. You know. So when when you when you look at so okay so being entirely entirely orthodox in this situation, I mean that in the big O denominational sense or church sense. What do you think is happening in confession? Do you believe, do you believe that when you talk about appropriating forgiveness, do you believe that in some sense we're reappropriating forgiveness ontologically or are we just not, I don't don't mean to say just, or are we spiritually reappropriating it devotionally because we need that as Christ's followers and children that we kind of like, we need what Jesus did once for all that was appropriated in faith and baptism to us individually in forgiveness. In confession, we're devotionally reappropriating to ourselves to receive its freedom and its energy and its hope and it, all that. Well, I, I, I don't want to minimize the, the— And to break down our willfulness, like you said. I think that's critical, too. I, I don't want to minimize the, the devotional sense, but you know, I, I think um, there, there's also, to use your phrase, sort of, the, uh, sort of this ontological sense. Uh, you know, in the, in the Orthodox Church, we refer to confession as, as the second and laborious baptism. Um, you know, that, hmm. that first baptism in water is, 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 is reasonably easy because of course, whether it happens, you know, as a, as a child or whether it happens as a, as a new believer, um, it, it's kind of the equivalent of, of, of the wedding day. It's all joyful and yay. Um, but you know, marriage is not the wedding day. You know, you when you get married, you take that vocation on yourself, but it, it needs to be reappropriated. You know, not just in a in a devotional sense, in an external sense, but I have to always be recommitting myself 
to being, you know, my wife's husband. And that, that's always, that's always changing. But when we talk about accepting salvation, you know, what we're talking about really, Peter says, is, is coming to share in the, in the very nature of God. And, and that always far exceeds my ability to receive it. Um, or again, like I tell my students, God just God is just bigger than than we are. Um, so reappropriating salvation and confession, like a second baptism, isn't to minimize that 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 first acceptance. Um, but it's it's just to point out that um, what what I'm what I'm accepting is 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 far beyond that which I can contain. And so I, I always need to, to come come back to it again and again and again. Um, St. Dionysius the Areopagite and it speaks to the devotional section aspect. He said, you know, we're, we are all of us vessels filled to overflowing with divine love, but we are different size vessels. You know, so confession is, is a little bit of expanding the vessel. Uh, but then having that discovering that that vessel is 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 always being continually filled to to overflowing, um, and we always have to. So, so back. Yeah. would it be would it be accurate then for me to say something like this? Um, so more is happening in confession simply than devoting ourselves to the God who forgives us, or right. simply receiving the forgiveness of baptism in faith. But right. that it is part of the process of what the Orthodox would call divinization, or like, but the, like the participating in the divine nature in the sanctification process, which really is communing with God more deeply, which is expanding yeah. the heart more fully to be yeah. in union with God. Yeah, and and, and, and that I, confession I like, is fundamental to that process. You know, I would say that yeah, that that, that confession is fundamental to the process of sanctification. Um, I mean, I mean, certainly it's, it's an Orthodox and a Catholic notion. Um, it was there in, in Luther. It was there in Calvin. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am, by the way, in full disclosure, I am not anything other than marginally familiar with Luther and Calvin, but I know enough to know that yeah. the confession in some form was, 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 was part of that, yeah. still part of the, the Reformation. Um, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But you know it. It um, you know it's it's um, you know, again confession it, it, somehow in in revivalist Protestantism yeah. got disconnected from the from the pastoral office yeah. and got and became a um, a office of peers. Yeah. So that where confession was a function was really functioning. Right. It it was people would always say you know the Bible says confess your sins one to another right so it's just any Christian any Christian and but but the thing is is like you st- may, yeah that's true that doesn't mean you can't confess your sins to somebody who can then give you good pastoral advice right. and direction and speak the promises of God over you more accurately from training and long reflection right but it it there's also not a lot of that confession happening within well, those contexts yeah well and and and, and you know that's the thing I um. You know, I, 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 I would never deny that we, we, we can and should confess our sins to one another. 
the the problem is, and and and, and you just you just said it. When confession gets separated from the office of pastoral leadership, it isn't that we then more enthusiastically confess our sins to one another. We we simply stop. Um, and you know, and I, I again, I've heard people say, "Well, I, I confess my sins directly to Jesus." Um, okay, great. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, Jesus and I were having a chat uh, this morning about one o'clock. Is Frequently we do when he says, hey, you need to wake up and talk to me. But, um, you know, but, but, you know, it, it, you know, I I think um, we, we, we really do need, I think that is part of the the pastoral office of of leadership um, is that there, there needs to be someone in in the local church who we trust uh, in, in that, you know, in that unique way. Um, and, you know, I, it's, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, as, as a, you know, I hear confessions a lot. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I preach, I preach it, you know, I, I, I do sermons before services, in a service, uh, sometimes after a service. So, you know, if we have evening prayers, there's at least two sermons, one before one and one at the end. But one of the, the ways that I'm able to preach, people are like, wow, how can you preach so consistently? It's like, well, because I, 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 know, I know the struggles of the people in my congregation because they, they, they trust me. Um, and, you know, I, I think there is something that, that happens to us. It happens to me in hearing confessions. Uh, I was a therapist before I was a priest. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's a different experience. Um, this is, you know, to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, you know, to experience my sinfulness is to experience a moment of existential dread. Um, you know, it, it isn't to deny that I've been forgiven, but when I really am aware of my sins, I, I realize just what it means to be forgiven because. I realize some new depth of of my own sinfulness and my own need to be forgiven. Um, and, and please correct me. I, I I think for a lot of Protestant evangelical Christians that 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 that's not just a, an existentially uncomfortable experience as it is for everyone else. But I, I think it it raises some some rather um, distressing theological questions um you know it's um yeah you know I think, yeah how can this still be in i think except to jesus he's wiped all my sins away right and now yeah i, I think i think i think protestants do struggle with that yeah and i think that's partly the effect of revivalist preaching and different certain kinds of preaching that are trying to make things clear yeah. because the fundamental end of revivalist preaching is decision and action right. And so you have to lay before people something that is decisive and actionable. Right. And so sometimes it's, it's so paradoxes and conundrums and um, those sorts of things are hard. Mysteries are hard in that kind of preaching. Because if you say, listen, um, Jesus died for your sins once for all, the right, you know, the unrighteous for the righteous for the unrighteous. Right. And if you, if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And people go, oh, so it's once for all. And you're like, yep. 
and then they believe. And then you're like, okay, now you're going to put sin to death. (laughs) And part of that process is constantly doing sort of commerce, so to speak, with that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even as you experience the wretchedness of seeing your sinfulness more clearly and seeing your weakness more clearly, to quote Romans 7 and 8, and to say, even after you've received this sort of once-for-all forgiveness of salvation, to then become more attuned to what God is like, and that actually causing you to feel more wretched before you can really release the works of the law or you're really trying to be a good person and really live in what Romans eight calls the law of the spirit of life. Yeah. And then to sort of become this sort of like person being conformed into the image of God's son. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think the spirituality of that is really difficult for people that the objectivity of Protestant salvation doctrine leads to a difficulty in the flowy (laughs) developmental nature of sanctificational theology. Yeah. yeah, Does that make sense? It, no, it does. It's um, you know I, I um, you know I I, I I I didn't become Orthodox until I was thirty one. I was Catholic before then, um, and when I became Orthodox, it was in the in a, in a, in a Greek Orthodox parish uh, where liturgy was still frequently celebrated, at least half in Greek, and no one was particularly interested that I didn't understand it. Um, but you know what 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 that gave me. Uh, as, as part of that experience was uh, sort of a point of entry into uh, a, a, a sort of an older form of Christianity, uh, which has its its own kinds of um, practical shortcomings, to be sure. But um, you know, it 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 broke me of that need to have everything uh, clearly delineated. Um, you know, it, 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 it is, it, it, it's humbling, um, you know, not, you know, to, to, to understand sort of on one level, the words of the service, but not understand them in a literal sense, just sort of out of rote. Um, you know, but, but what it, what it, it gave me was a, a, a certain distance from, um, you know, the, that, 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 um, attraction to, to clear and distinct ideas, you know, um, and I mean, well, you, you're, you're a dad, you know, this, you, 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 you love all your daughters, uh, equally to the degree that we can say that, but you love them all differently. Um, and, and to the degree you have a plan, it's, it's, it's to treat them according to the unique circumstances of their lives. You don't get the oldest like the youngest, for example. Um, you know, so you know that doesn't mean everybody doesn't show up at time on time for dinner. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So let me let me let me try to. I'm trying. I want to bring this to one more thing. I want to explore with you a little bit. That I think people find helpful. So first, first thing. So so what we're talking about is how do we help people deal with COVID from a authentically right. Christian spirituality? Right. The first is. It's good to grapple with the existential dread of your impending death. And yeah. that can bring about a seriousness and a freedom and a uh, a change of life. Maybe you'll realize you're really not living like a person who knows they're going to die. And um, Jonathan Edwards said this. I mean, a congregational Protestant, right? It was like, you know, I'm going to think often about the occasions of death and my own death and how similar it will be. And 
that's going to help me figure out how I want to live, you know? So that's not bad. Like dealing with the existential dread isn't bad. Right. And then secondly, the centrality of confession in Christian spirituality, right? Um, confessing to God and forgiving others, giving up your willfulness so that you are an open vessel to the divine presence of God, because part of the inheritance of Christ is sharing in the divine nature. It's probably the greatest of the inheritances of Christ. And so that has to be part of how you see salvation. Even if you understand your salvation as being once for all in Christ's death and resurrection, which is also true. Right. Does that, is that fair? Okay. Now the third one is, Oh wait, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. That before we go there. I think that that that's that that's uh, it's perfectly fair. Uh, you know, we we uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm I'm just. Gonna- I'm going to come back to the difference of that in just a minute. I have a I have a really wonky denominationalish question to end with. But before, I want to talk about one more spiritual discipline. So we talked about um, grappling with your existential dread. Second. Um, reordering your spirituality around confession and forgiveness. That confession it should be very fundamental to your spirituality, and preferably confessing to God in the presence of and in the companionship of another Christian, preferably one who can then affirm God's word, right. so to speak, yeah. in the liturgy of confession and forgiveness yeah. because of how it should affect you, right? And then the third is this. You said in our discussion, you said about rituals and repetition, partly in relationship to the ascetic tradition and orthodoxy. You said, listen, I have a very structured life. I pray the same prayers every day. I pray them at similar times most days. I offer the liturgy on Sunday. It's the same. I do all these things the same. And it doesn't matter how I feel that day. I pray. I act. I do liturgy. I, because, because I think that's what you're supposed So, So is that true? Why do you do that? Like uh, some people are like, no, you should kind of do what you feel. And you're like, nope. Well, yeah, uh, doing what you feel is a recipe for adultery. Yeah, right. Well, no, I, I, you know, and, and obesity. And obesity. Right? <laughs> I, I, I would say, I, I used to do undergrad ethics to undergraduates. It's like, well, yeah, they talk about spontaneity feeling. And it's like, look, there's going to come a point you're going to get married and your spouse is going to be traveling or whatever. They're going to be attracted to someone else. And that's exactly the moment you do not want your spouse to be spontaneous and act on feelings. Exactly the moment you want your spouse to say, no, I'm not going to do this. It's wrong. You know, but, um, you know, there, there isn't anything in our lives that we have that we value that we haven't gotten through um, hard work and discipline over time. Um, you, you know, it, you know, I, uh, and we had talked about this last time, you know, pretty much everyone I talked to was unhappy. Um, mm-hmm. generally, yeah, you said that, you know, but I mean, certainly these days, everyone is happy as unhappy. Um, I can be certain that at any given time, at least someone's going to be angry at me, um, mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. I just told a staff member in my last meeting. Yeah. Who's like, I just feel like you're disappointed in me. And I was like, I am. Because not because like you're bad. Something happened where you couldn't fulfill my expectations. Yeah. So you you made the right choice and that choice disappointed me. Listen, the more responsibilities you have, the more people you're gonna disappoint, even if you're doing everything right. Right. And 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 this is this is why I think we need this, this is oh, sweet for myself. This is why I, I, I do try to be as structured and as 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 ordered as I can, because it, it, 
the, 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 the discipline, the order, the, the habit is not the goal. It's, it's to help me stay out of my, my own way when, when things need to be done. I, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't wait to go until I go to the hospital to come to God in prayer. You know, um, I, I have to have, you know, I have to have that ongoing, you know, daily hour to hour relationship with him. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that the only way that we do that with God is the only way we do it with everyone else is that we, we have to show up and have to show up on a regular basis, you know, um, which is rooted in the doctrine of humility for you, right? Like the idea that like, this is like, I'm a frail creature. This gets back to, you were talking about frailty before, right? That if you believe you're a frail creature, then confession and the problem of willfulness and then ritual, because without that structure, you're just too frail to be what you need to be. You need that. Right. And, and I, I mean, I do, I, I just, you know, I, I, I just have to have that in place. But you know what I would, I would emphasize I don't think I'm unique in that way. Um, you, you know, it's, um, I, I, and we, we, I mean, we see this, for example, in sort of in the, in the professional arena. Um, you know, whether we're talking someone who's a tradesman or a, or a, or a physician, an attorney, um, you know, excellence requires discipline and hard work over time. And, and we laud it. Um, you know, I, I think it would, I would be surprised if you had any parents in your congregation who said to their high school kids, oh, just do whatever feels right. You know, study for history or not, you know, however God prompts you. Um, you know, that's, we, we understand intuitively that's, that's, that's wrong with, with, with wrong thing to say to high school students. Um, but I, I think, yeah, one of the things that, one of the phrases I use at our church is that following God is full of a kind of gracious striving. Yeah. That you have to sort of maintain this belief in the grace of God, that God is doing this, right? So in that in that passage about div- about sharing the divine nature in Second Peter 1, that passage starts in verse 3 with God's, his divine power has given us everything we need, right? And right. it goes on like that for a couple of verses. And then it says, for this reason, make every effort. Right. And, and, and then it tells you a list of seven virtues to work your way through with all kinds of effort. Right. right? Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly it. I, I, because I have come to share in the nature of God, I need to cultivate the life of virtue. And actually he says, I need to cultivate the life of virtue, lest something worse happen to. Right. It's like, and if you don't understand that need, then you're already in the state where you're nearsighted and blind. He says, yeah, and, and you've already forgotten that you've been cleansed of past sins. Yeah. Like if you don't realize you have to be in the sweaty game of sanctification today through great effort, right? You have forgotten already that you were forgiven from sins. Because right. yeah. if you knew you were forgiven from sins and you understood the promises of Christ, and you knew you could share the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world, then you would do everything possible to grow in these virtues. Like he sees that those two is intuitively connected. That right. grace produces works. Right. And, and it's important. I mean, it, it's grace that produces the works, but the works have the, the effect of confirming, not creating, but confirming the grace. Um, right. And, again, it, it's and, and there's grace operative in the work, wouldn't you say, too? Yeah. That like, as you try to pursue those things, God is working in 
but the the difference is when you receive forgiveness, you 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 didn't participate in Jesus dying and rising for no. you. So no, there's I, a sense in which salvation it's all done for you. Yeah. Well, I. I but I, in I, a, in sanctification, yeah. would you disagree with that? No. Well, I I, I would say I I did participate in the death of Jesus Christ, but as as the person driving in the nails. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's, agreed. I have a, I have a yeah, you contributed the sin. Yeah, I yes. had a friend one time who said, "Well, if I was the only sinner in the world, Jesus would have died for me." And my response was, "If you were the only sinner in the world, who would have killed him?" Yeah, and it was right. oh, you yeah. would have died. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and, 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 and you know, I was speaking to myself, but uh, yeah, I, it, no, I think that is. I hate that cliche, and that is my favorite response to it. Uh, it is. Yeah. Yes, and you also would have nailed him to the cross because you would have been the only person to do it, and you would have. And, 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 and Paul in Hebrews is clear: we crucify Christ again, you know, by our right. by, our, by our sin. But um, so, yeah. do you think, in some ways, the goal of the ascetic tradition is to move through ritual to discipline in the pursuit of spiritual virtue? That that, that it's kind of like we're going to put together a life, a kind of life that produces through these rituals and repetitions, the kind of discipline through which over the long term we are pursuing virtue. I, I, I think what the, the, the ascetical tradition does what the, the spiritual disciplines do is they, they, they get me out of my own way. There, there is only one impediment to grace in my life. And that's me. Um, you know, and and you know the the what what happens sometimes is I think I just need to try harder, um, and this will happen. I, I will you know when people come, especially young men, and and they're struggling, say with uh, pornography, they they just think if they they work a little harder at it, they'll be okay. And it's like, yeah, dude, no, <laughs> you 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 cannot white knuckle your way through this. Um, you know, you 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 gotta approach this with, with, with smaller steps. Um, you know, but we, we, we do need, you know, again, like the whole rest of life, you know, we, we need, we need to sort of grow slowly, um, in the, the cloud of unknowing, uh, the anonymous author of that 14th century text is, is, is very, uh, critical of, of those people who sort of, presume upon grace and imagine that they have they've been given a greater share of, of divine grace than than they they actually have been given um but it, it's not a it's not he's not trying to condemn people he's saying well you, you know god will give you the grace as you need it so that that you can grow and become more fully conformed to christ but 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 this is something which happens incrementally because we're creatures um, and, and, and there is nothing in our lives, there's nothing in, in human life that happens spontaneously or instantaneously. It's, it's always by, by, by these little uh, incremental changes. Um, to be sure, there are times when those changes seem to coalesce and there's this, this flash of inspiration. But when, when we look back on it, we realize that, that, that there, there was some preparation. Um, Actually, I listened to a lecture by N.T. Wright uh, a while ago, and he was talking about Paul on the road to Damascus. And uh, you know, he, he was very critical of talking about it as a conversion um, because it wasn't from unbelief to belief. 
it was rather sort of the culmination. And Paul talks about this as his coming to Christ was the culmination of his life as a Pharisee. Uh, you know, so you know these the, these you know these disciplines. Um, they're kind of like dating. Um, you know, you don't you don't see a, a young man doesn't see a young woman and say, "Wow, she's pretty," and then go and propose to her. Even if even if in that moment uh, he realizes this is the this is the woman he's going to marry. You know, I, I met my wife; she was eighteen, and I was twenty-two, and it's like, oh. Wow, this is a very this is going to be a very important person in my life. This did not mean I should go up and propose. That's a kind of how to work towards it. Um, can I say one thing about confession? Because I, I think, and I think this is important um, for your your listeners and your congregation. You know the the you know pastor uh, people trust you to get up on Sunday morning and speak the word of God with authority. Uh, presumably, when they say Pastor Nick gives a good sermon, they don't simply mean, ah, that Nick, he's a clever kid and he has fun things to say. That there is some substance there and that this substance um, is, is not just intellectually substantial, but also a grace. You know, confession um, flows out of, out, of, out of that, out of the pastoral office in much the same way as does the sermon, um, is that you know the, the 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 expectation is is that you know God has set me aside to to speak a word not only to the community but to the individual, and you know I, I think I mean this is the reason I, I live the way I do, the reason I dress the way I do, um, is 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 a reminder not just to other people to but also to myself that that I've been set aside for something different. Yeah, um, yeah. I had a I had an Anglican friend in Florida who would always wear a collar. Yeah, partly so it was easier for him to get on the military base. But I was I finally was like Clark, why do you why do you always wear the collar? I mean, you're like you're like a low church Anglican. He's yeah. like, it's my yoke. Yeah. He's like, you should always wear your yoke. Businessmen wear ties because it's their yoke. They're yeah. men. They're men of business, and I wear this. It's I, this collar is my yoke. It, it reminds me what I'm doing in the world, and right. and show, tells everybody else, advertises them what I'm doing in the world. Right. That's why we It's why we wear wedding rings. You know, it, 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 we we have to have these external signs of our internal commitments. Um, you, you know, because without that without that external sign, that that internal commitment. Uh, will will fade away, and and and, it, and it, it it does. I mean, just think of all. I mean, I think about the things I enjoy doing in high school or college, which are all good. But you know, the, the, my circle of friends who did those things, you know, we we sort of moved apart, and you know, I I just don't play role playing games anymore. Not because they're bad or because I'm I'm too old, but because the friends with with, with whom I did that are, are no longer in my life in the same way. You know, we, we need these external disciplines, you know, to, to, to keep that friendship with Jesus Christ fresh. Um, you, you know, but, um, I mean, and that, that really is it. This is, uh, it's, spiritual disciplines are, are in this, 
the discipline, the ethical disciplines are in the spiritual life. What saying I love you is to your spouse is in, in the conjugal life. You, you know, you, 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 uh, there have to be these, 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 these regular daily, uh, expressions of, of, of affection and, and love and respect and desire. Um, yeah. You know, just, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I feel I hate having these conversations with you over Zoom because our conversations are so much more lively in person. You know what I mean? Because there's like no technology between us. But l- let me—I was going to ask you a couple impertinent questions at the end. But let me ask you. Let me ask you one more. Oh, ask all the way. Go ahead. One. I want to ask one more spiritual question because I, I want people to c- get away with this, not just kind of like, oh, listen to Father Gregory and Nick like ray partay with each other. But I want this to be really spiritually helpful for okay. people, right? Um, one of the things you said is I said, I asked you the question, I said, what would you preach now? Like what, like what would you, and you said, you were, you referred to Carthusian spirituality, but you said, one of the things I would really encourage people to do is to stop and engage in introspection right. at times like this. Like, why are you responding to things the way you do? How are you reacting to things? What's really happening inside you when you have fl- flashes and flares of anger? Yeah. Why did that happen? Yeah. Pay attention because moments like these where you can't control your surroundings and you're kind of, it'll, t- you'll learn a lot about yourself yeah. and then you'll know what God wants to work on. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I agree. It just, um, since we're, we're being honest. How, do pe- how would you do that? If someone, if you had like a college student and they were like, you need to stop and engage in, and you said all that stuff I just said. And they were like, oh, Kirk, how do I like what literally, how do I do that? Do I like sit down with a, had a paper? Do I just like, do I get in some kind of Hindu meditation pose? Do I, do I do prayers out of the prayer book first that are kind of like wrote that I don't make up that they're the same prayers and then do that? Like, how would you encourage somebody to like literally physically go about right. doing that? Well, I, in, in part, it would depend on, on, on who, you know, you know, the, the, you know, who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 my general advice is uh, read the Psalms. I love the Psalms. They all begin the same way. Mm-hmm. David's disappointed or happy with God, and he goes on for a while, and at the end of the psalm, God wins. Uh, doesn't matter where David mm-hmm. begins. It ends in the same place. God wins. Um, so I like the psalms as a yeah. way of fostering self-reflection. Um, and the four Gospels, reading, you know, and I think we can read a, a few verses of the psalms and the gospel, or one of the gospels every day, and, and just reflect on it. I think it helps to have, uh, you know, friends with whom you can have, you know, significant conversations uh, uh-huh. about things that, that with which you're struggling. Um, you know, but I, I think above all, we, we need to, we need to do what's, what's really hard to do, uh, which is, is to carve out time of, of silence and, and, uh, and stillness. And, and I mean both of those, not just times where there's not music or TV playing, but maybe where we're just sitting and, and just trying to to reflect. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I tell everyone, because I'm so proud of it, I'm originally from Texas. Um, of all the places God could have put me, Madison is, is the least, uh, it's, it's the least good fit. <laughs> I, I mean, people, it's amazing. And people here, you're from Texas. Wow, that's so great. You wear shoes and you're, you're, you don't seem like a racist. I mean, people really say things like that to me. They really are. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, well, I, I pastored in like lower Alabama, the Florida panhandle and pe- I, people I expect that too. Yeah. You know, and so I, I, I had to sit down and I had to say, well, I really don't like it here. These are not my people. And I, I had to really look at, at why I didn't like it here and why I didn't feel comfortable here. And, and then I had to put that up against the fact that as, as near as I could tell, this is where God wants me. And then I have to do the hard work. If I, well, what, what? I don't think God's asking me to be happy here, you know, to like being here, but he is asking me to serve you. He's asking me to love these people. And so I, 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 I have to, I have to, I have to think about that. And I have to pray about that, you know, um, to the distress of at least some of my, some in my congregation, I'm sure, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time talking about, uh, COVID-19 and the lockdown and masks and, you know, the upcoming presidential election. And it always, um, in, in all of that, to, to, to get, try to help people to, to be more docile to the will of God and to be more inclined, you know, to, to think well of their neighbors. Um, you know, and it's like, because this is a really... This is this is not a place that handles disagreement well, um, and 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 here's the thing: I'm a big, smart guy with an outgoing personality, and uh, I'm just going to always win the arguments. And it's like, yeah, that's not helpful. So I I I have to always I'm I'm always learning how how to be a priest and a Christian in a new way, but because I, I look at my circumstances and I'm honest with myself, I, I don't, I don't lie and say, Oh, God brought me to Madison. Yay. It's like, yeah, no, my conversations with God about Madison are like Job's or Jonah's or Jeremiah's, you know, but we, we, we really do need to, we need to sit, I would tell the kid, I would tell anyone, sit down and look at yourself. If you need to use a pad and paper, that's great. Do that. If you need to talk with someone, that, that, that that's great. Um, I can sit for hours and look at a wall. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. It makes people anxious. My wife has learned to accept it. But um, but 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 mostly, I would say, just sit, be quiet, and look inside. And, and don't don't um, you know don't be a, don't be um, don't be afraid of what you'll see. I um, in the creed it says that Jesus descends into Haiti, descends into hell, and so I tell my own congregation um, when you go to the deepest, darkest, most shameful part of your heart, you will find Jesus Christ waiting there to greet you. Because he he went he went before us, um, and, and, and but but to really find him, I have to go to that that part that I don't ever want to look at because that's where he's waiting for me. Yeah, because he's like in the dark. Yeah, and, and then and then you would say, and then when you get there, go to confession. 
like confess your sins so that you can be healed, like that you can you can give up your willfulness in those things and expose it to God's light and live by the law of the spirit of life, recognize that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And right. So like th- there's kind of a, so I, so, okay. So if, if you we're, so we'll wrap it up here, guys. So as you listen, so here, here, let me put this in order for you. One, let something like COVID-19 cause you to face the existential dread of the fact that you're going to die. Two, let that lead you to a place of introspection and quiet so that you allow the way this situation shakes you up and brings out stuff you didn't want to look at and look at it. And it's going to take you someplace. You don't need to be afraid, but you're going to see something that's frightening. And to the extent to which you realize that that's a really good thing. Next, confess it to someone who you can trust, who has authority and grace in Christ make a good confession and confess your sins one to another so that you can be healed to quote the apostle. And then recognize that in that grace and that humility that comes from giving up your willfulness and confession, there is a pursuit in these spiritual disciplines, these repetitions and rituals of prayer and confession and worship and hope and reading scripture and things like that, that, that restore you that like build the strength of virtue and that, help you go through this sort of cyclical thing in a real direction to walk closer to Christ and to expand your soul as a way of being in union with the divine nature, God's God's own being in a wider and wider and wider way. Yeah. Does that, well, does that feel like I, you know, um, a version of what we were trying to explain? I, I think so. Um, as you were talking, I was remembering um, Jesus' words to Peter, Amen, Amen, I say to you, when you were young men, you went where you would. But there will come a time where you will stretch out your hands, and another will tie you and take you where you would not go. God takes me where I don't want to go. Um, because he takes me to him, you know, not to my own will. Um, um, that, that, that's a good thing. I, 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 I haven't suffered a loss or a humiliation that has not been a source of grace, at least for others and, and, and frequently for myself as well. So um, I love COVID-19. I think it's great. I'm sorry for all the suffering. I really am. But boy, we just realize that we have been wasting our time. Yeah. For all the waste COVID-19 will create, if we don't waste it, it will produce some very good things. I, I, I think it is, even as we speak. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, my guest today has been Father Gregory Jensen, Orthodox pastor here in Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks so much for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor. Thank you for having me. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. You can find more episodes online at highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on most podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. If you are listening on a podcast app, hit subscribe to get notified of future episodes. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.